back to another episode of the podcast. As always, I'm your host, C3, alongside with John. This is Intentional Dangerfield. Shout out to E. Cannon over there. We have a special guest this evening. And I, I want to do it justice. I'm, I'm going to let him pronounce his own name so you can get the vibration in the, the pronunciation. Julio, do us the honor. My name is Julio Barrenzuela. There it is. See how he rolled that R? (laughs) Perfect. Welcome to the podcast, man. It's a pleasure having you on. First and foremost, we're going to get right into something that I need to address that is carrying over from last week. I came in here dressed like a New York Yankee. They got scraped. (laughs) They're out of the playoffs. They got beat down. Wow. So we're just going to get right past that. Moving right along to Saturday night. Uh oh. The Conor McGregor. Oh man. Khabib fight. Do Do you watch UFC? Do you no, like fights I, or anything? I saw it on Facebook. I saw he got Conor. It, it was It was nasty. He got destroyed. Oh, yeah. oh, as oh, as Todd God. would say, in honor of Todd, he's not here this week. <laughs> he got torture wrapped. <laughs> no lie, I was watching oh, earlier man. in the week. I was watching just a Facebook video or whatever uh-huh. and it, it just had like it was a foreign video and it had a like a python or an anaconda <laughs> like wrapping up a, a, a deer uh-huh. and the deer was just laying there accepting his own doom right <laughs> fast forward to the fight on Saturday I hear they're not so Connor's sitting down with his back to the fence with his legs straight out crossed while Khabib's on top of him Mauling him, right, right. But he just had this blank stare in his face, and the the announcer was like, "Hey, he's okay. He's not expending any energy." And I think back to the video <laughs> where the deer's just like, "It's a wrap. It's a wrap. <laughs> it's not looking good." Oh, so Connor got murdered. Did you hear about people? Uh, because they was trying to say that this chokehold that he got him in, they said that it was so like orthodox like it really wasn't a choke but um i was listening to um joe rogan right and he was saying how he had him was he cut off the circulation of the the blood that goes to the, the brain blood flow to the brain and he was saying that how you know um because he was he was actually credit credited credit him he was saying that how he was such a professional that he really didn't even have to get the whole neck if he got the jaw and and the face together, mm-hmm. he he was able to put him to sleep like that. You're right because he wasn't <laughs> on throat; he was on jawbone. Right, right, right. And Connor tapped, and he was like, "You know what? <laughs> I'm not ready to let go." Oh, <laughs> he held it on a little longer. Oh wow! <laughs> now, what you what do you think about the rumors they talking about? Um, they're saying that he he wrote a letter to Dana White or something. Or he he says something about who's um, this Khabib or Khabib, Connor right Khabib, talking about because I guess um, Dana White was trying to make his he cancel a fight or something like that they're they're trying to talk about the repercussions of what could happen maybe something with their visa because Khabib's Russian so mm-hmm. they're not U S citizens mm-hmm. so they come over here to do work mm-hmm. so the what happened after the fight is what ha- what they're talking about where. Khabib left the ring, started fighting with Connor's trainer yep. in the in the stands. Oh man! Fight broke out in there. The, the 
camp from Khabib came inside the ring, mm-hmm. started fighting Connor. <laughs> so there's so there it's a bigger issue, but the whole point is that Connor, quote unquote, is the face of the UFC. So like when he attacked Khabib's bus mm-hmm. and threw mm-hmm. a dolly and broke the glass and he injured a fighter that was on the bus, they were gonna go somewhere right. um, to another location for a venue. Um but that's what this is all stemming from. Mm-hmm. So when Khabib leaves the ring, they're trying to act like he's doing something more than Connor has done. Right, right, right. So he's, he he told Dana White, he was like, if something happens to me, then I won't, I don't have to fight here. <laughs> Point of the matter is, I don't uh, think he has anybody to fight right now anyway. Because oh, nobody yeah. wants that smoke. Because no, I'm, I'm going to tell you this, when I saw the guy wrestling a bear. He was wrestling a, at as, nine as, years as, old. <laughs> a real bear? I think he... <laughs> To the bear's credit, uh-huh. I think he was declawed and defamed. <laughs> right, 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 right. <laughs> but he, he was buying them. <laughs> yeah, he was. He was trying to get it. Wow. Right. But he still got flipped. That's but awesome. first off, you know, I was talking to um, my homeboy, and we was talking about the fight. And when I saw them, the weigh-in and how I saw his demeanor and then how he was like, it's not me, it's God, I was thinking, like, Connor Bear, watch out. This guy is too humble this guy really wasn't. He didn't really get you know physical with him. He just mm-hmm. stood there. And Conor McGregor, he put on the show. Yeah. But I was listening to his trainer. His trainer said he only had ten weeks to prepare for this fight. He's wow. you know he he he's been off for like two years, and you're trying to fight a guy that's undefeated. I feel like he should have had a guy that he went against first that wasn't so good, mm-hmm. then fought this guy because Conor. It, once he got him on the ground, it was over with. I think he needed a warm, uh, uh, a tune-up. Oh, a tune-up. That's the word. He needed right. a tune-up before he, <laughs> he battled the champ, I, the most ferocious that fighter hook. on roster. That hook was wow. so nasty. Did you see that hook? I can't believe I've missed this video. I have to definitely <laughs> look it up when I get to the house. So, after that, that Saturday night wasn't the same. No, it wasn't. It wasn't. It kind of deflated what was going on because you know we had a little little event going on. But after Connor got massacred like that, oh my god! It wasn't like everybody was on the bandwagon for Connor. But I think it was assumed that it would be it would be a better showing. I wanted to see him win personally. You know <clears throat> what? I, I I did too, and I'm not a Connor fan. Mm-hmm. I, I just I just thought, you know, after the little training that he had with uh mm-hmm. for boxing, I thought he would come back with, with, with gun powder in his hands. That's what a lot of people were saying. But there wasn't any. He was shooting blanks. <laughs> blanks. Blanks. He did nothing. Bro, that bro does now that I'm looking at it, he does look very scary. <laughs> and and you know, and I just I just didn't understand. Like, I mean wow. this guy totally wrestled him down. I mean, once he got him on the ground, and that was right. the game plan. Everybody knew that what he was going to do, but mm-hmm. once he got him down, it was just all over with. Oh, <laughs> it was all over with. Like this guy, even um, Con- what's his name, Cor- Cornier, uh, Daniel Cornier. Uh-huh. He was even saying he would. Ne- Conor McGregor would never beat this guy. I don't think so. In, in not in in twelve contests. <laughs> 
<laughs> so he just needs to leave him alone. I, I don't think it should be another rematch. I don't. No, that that that's done. <laughs> now, do you have any any um, fighters that you that you look at or follow at all? Well, uh, with UFC, like uh, I used to watch it in college, like many years ago, and I for just for a little bit. And I remember Matt Hughes was the guy that I got that I uh-huh. liked, and I actually had to meet him at Night's Action Park. Yeah, and wow. for me, like. That was like at the beginning, him and that other um, French guy. Um, what what was his name? George St. Pierre. That's mm. him, yeah. Now they say he is really cut up in real life. They say once he you is. see him, they say he is really, really ripped. He looks like an American <laughs> or a, uh, would you, a Canadian ninja. Because <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's from Canada. Yeah, he looks like a ninja. A real he's the real deal. For yeah, real. He's the real deal. Speaking of the real deal, we have the real deal with us presently yes sir julio oh man what's up with salsa 29 productions uh, salsa 29 i was um so before the show got started i was telling you how I, salsa 29 came into my life uh it it was my license plate that i didn't know what to make of it because i wanted salsa one or salsa 99 something that made sense to me like salsa 81 uh-huh. when i was born but uh yeah so i got salsa 29 and i was uh, 17 years old so I figured I have to wait till I'm 29 for it to make sense. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so um, I found myself joining the Navy. I found myself uh, going through school. And when I turned 29, I finally said, you know, why don't I start a company around this number? Mm-hmm. And it was my first job that I really took seriously. Um, even having served in the Navy and everything, I never, felt a, I, I never felt a sense of passion at a personal level as I did when I started my own Salsa 29 company, and wow. the goal of it was how do I share uh, this idea of music as a tool for unity uh, with as many people as I can, and in a way that is only not, not only fun and beneficial, but actually is meaningful. You know, genuine. Mm-hmm. It's not it's not forced on people. Right. Mm-hmm. So, so where were you at in in location when you started this? Uh, so Salsa 29 was started uh, in Springfield, Illinois. Okay. So I graduated when I was 28 from Carbondale. So I was a, wow. I started school later because I was in the military. Mm-hmm. And at 29, it was like ceremonies, you know, like that's where I used to run and run into you <clears throat> down in Southern Illinois. <laughs> really? Yes. <laughs> yeah, at the Decoying Fair. Every, <laughs> it was so crazy because he's like an adult, uh-huh. you know, doing adult <laughs> stuff, and I'm walking around like still a student. <laughs> but yeah, so. Decoin, Decoin is interesting, huh? Because uh, people up here would say, "Why are we wasting our money having a Decoin State Fair?" And people in Decoin, like, you know, why are we wasting our money with Springfield? It's two different worlds. It definitely, Southern it's Illinois, definitely different. Wow. Central. Everybody thinks Chicago is like what everybody hates because uh, so, it's their their own world. Nah, mm-hmm. it's that we got Central Illinois, Southern Illinois, and of course Chicago, but. Wow. I don't know. I would say I actually like Southern Illinois. It's, it's I kind of feel very close to them as well. So how long did you spend down there? Uh, it was a total of five years. Reason being that I started school and then I got um, called back into the Navy. Mm. So I had to leave and then come back. And then I changed majors because I was going to be a intercultural communication specialist. Uh-huh. That's what I would tell the girls at least. You know, <laughs> studying speech comedy. <laughs> They're like, "What does that mean?" I'm like, "Well, um, it means I'm, I'm a specialist in communicating interculturally." Oh. <laughs> and then, uh, 
then I got talked into going into business and I switched to mm -hmm. marketing. I was like, oh, marketing, I'm gonna market this idea of salsa. Uh -huh. And if anybody out there is listening and they like the, and they're in this position of switching majors, all right, a warning, huh? Marketing is fun. I enjoyed marketing, but the, but switching your whole major for marketing, think twice because like I only had two tops three marketing classes. Mm. Everything else was the core curriculum for business, uh -huh. such as statistics and algebra and finance and macroeconomics and macroeconomics and accounting. And, and I'm like, I don't want any of that stuff. <laughs> I wanted marketing. Like, right. So now all of a sudden I'm going from straight A's in my intercultural communication degree to like struggling with C's and, you know, having a hard time needing tutors for math and science. Mm. And I'm like, so that's when I really had to find myself, you know, like, uh -huh. well, am I getting a degree because it's going to get me a job or am I getting a degree because it's, I'm making myself better. Mm. So I switched, you know, I was, I was going to be an intercultural guy because that's what I was, that's what I was. And I felt like I was making myself better mm -hmm. and my grades complimented me. But when I switched to business, it's a whole different world. So I, I enjoyed marketing. I, I ended up getting my business degree there, but, um, in hindsight, I would have just taken three marketing electives uh -huh. and I would have been, I think, the happiest cat. Wow. So you're saying the actual doing of business was more beneficial for you? I th Exactly. So when I graduated, everyone expected me to be like, oh, you're a business person, you know, you can now run your business. Mm -hmm. I, won't, I won't deny, you know, having taken accounting, having taken uh, economics and managing manage, uh, management gave me an insight into it, uh -huh. but obviously hands-on, actually doing it, going into the Chamber of Commerce, you know, putting your, your shirt and tie on, you know, and hitting the road and and having all those f failures, you know, like writing proposals and then having people say, that's nice, thank you, but I will pass, you know, and like mm -hmm. having to go home, like I spent hours on that. <laughs> <laughs> so so what does that do to you when, you when you hear, like you said, you spend hours working on something, grooming it to bring it up to presentation to to display and being told you know what that's not what we were looking for or that's not we're not going to go with that how do you rebound from that and keep trudging forward a uh, great great question charles um so my business right mm -hmm. when people ask me what do you do like what do you sell what's your service what's your project um for the first few years uh, i had a difficult time answering because um, I knew that I had given myself 10 years to figure that out. I had read a book when I graduated college called Outliers by Malcolm Gladwell. Mm. And it said to become an expert, you need to spend at least 10 years doing something, 10,000 hours. Right, right. So I knew that no matter what, I would be okay because as long as it falls under my 10 years, I won't see it as a failure, mm -hmm. just a setback. So um, when people say, what do you do? What do you, you know, what are you proposing? The word proposal never really, like the whole time I was in business school, I never wrote proposals. Right. Mm -hmm. So I get out and I start having to write proposals. They would say, eh, well, send me, write me a proposal. And uh -huh. my proposal was like, well, okay, I'm going to regurgitate everything we talked about. <laughs> I took it to them. And um, when they would come back, it's like very, very interesting. If they even read it at all, sometimes they haven't read it. And I'm like, oh, I'm sorry, I haven't had a chance to read it. I was like, it's been three wow. weeks, you know? Uh -huh. uh, and then they would send it back and say, uh, this time we're going to pass. And it was like a punch to my gut. The, the way I would rebound, Charles, honestly, in hindsight, looking back, because uh, I don't drink, um, 
to excess. Mm-hmm. But I, I do, I did have my moment. Like in 2010, I remember was what I always remember was like my most impressive moment. I graduated in 2008, gone ho. By 2010, mind you, at 2009, I was nominated as like the top 10, one of the top 10 citizens of Springfield. And I had all these awards and wow. all this hard work. And then 2010, I have a depression right? and I'm sitting at home going, I'm a nobody. No one's mm-hmm. understanding the salsa thing because I couldn't make sense of it. But I heard a quote by, um, and I remember hearing this quote by uh, a guy named um, Dwayne Dyer. Uh He's a motivational speaker. Mm -hmm. And he said, motivation, I'm looking at you over there, motivation is when you have an idea and you do what it takes to make it happen. Mm -hmm. But inspiration is when the idea gets a hold of you and uses you to make it happen. Mm. When I heard that, I it made sense to me that, you know what, I don't think this salsa thing is really my idea. Because mm. if I had it my way, I have I have a degree, I've been in the military, I speak three languages, I can get a job and end all of this right now. You know, mm-hmm. just relax, get a job, start a family, like all my friends were doing. But here I am writing proposals about how salsa can better the lives of the seniors and elderly and people right. with developmental and physical disabilities and kids. And I'm being told, well, you're not old enough. Like, where's your gray hair? At that time, I had no, I mean, I have a couple. <laughs> but at that time, I had no gray hairs. They're like, oh, so you're not old enough to be talking to us as a, as a you don't have experience doing uh-huh. this. Where's your PhD over here? You know, no PhD. Where's a... Uh, have you done research and all this stuff? And I said, no, no, no. So my proposals were being turned down. Mm. But I knew that it's not my idea. Like something woke me up every morning saying, all right, get back out there and try to make sense of it. Try uh-huh. to make sense of it. What does salsa music have to do with kids and the and the academic achievement gap and um, the fighting fighting for example bullying and learning about uh, the culture around you what's called global education what does salsa have to do with um, people in jails um, adults and kids at the juvenile detention center what does salsa have anything to do with the ada and and promoting inclusion with people with developmental disabilities right in essence it would have been much easier had i just said salsa means dancing let's open up a dance studio and just become one of the best dance instructors in town. I think had that been my message and that had that been my goal, I would have had one of the best studios in town because my salsa dances are pretty fun because <laughs> I'm an I'm an entertainer, motivational motivational guy. Right. I want to make you like the idea of dancing. I can teach you quickly. Mm-hmm. The hardest part is making you think you can dance. Then I can teach it to you. So you can teach wow. a guy like this to dance? Right, I've right. been thinking about it since I got here. <laughs> <laughs> Look, here's why I can do it. Here's why I can do it. Not to, uh-huh. be, not to sound cocky, but I can honestly tell you, after 10 years, I can be an expert in this. Uh-huh. I have mastered, guys, I've mastered um, the art of changing your disposition about it, your state mm-hmm. of mind. Because the same way a comedian doesn't bother himself with having to teach you how to laugh, he just has to get good enough knowing that his material will make you laugh. Wow. You know what I'm saying? That's right. a big difference. Mm-hmm. If if a comedian was charged with teaching you how to laugh, you know how to laugh. Maybe right. you haven't laughed in a while, maybe you know if you had your time your downtime. The same way I come in, I don't I know I don't have to teach you how to dance. I just gotta get you moving. Mm-hmm. Mm. If I can get you moving 
and I can just show you how I want you to move, it's much different than teaching you. So what's the first steps if you were to talk if you had taught me salsa, what's the first step that I would have to take? Well, I'm getting nervous <laughs> just thinking about it. <laughs> so okay. All right. So the first step, right? Because uh, I, I got big feet, you know, I wear a size fifteen. I don't want to step on nobody's shoes. Oh man, know? no, no, no. No, you have an advantage. You have an, look, so oh, I wow. dance in LA, right? Uh-huh. And we have very the, the coolest salsa club in all of Los Angeles is a place salsa club is called El Floridita. El Floridita is a place in Hollywood on wow. the corner of, um, let's see, it's the corner of Vine and, and uh, Fountain. Mm-hmm. Why is it the most popular? It's because all the celebrities go there. Oh, wow. It's the only salsa place, really, where it's known that every Monday night, that's the place to salsa because it's Hollywood and celebrities go there and they know you're not going to, they don't get harassed. You know, they're just dancing mm-hmm. and you can be dancing next one day to uh, Ryan Gosling or Matthew McConaughey, who, by the way, is a, not only does he like to dance, he likes to play the drums. Oh, so wow. he gets on there and he starts playing the drums with the band, you know, right. you can be dancing with Jennifer Aniston. You can be dancing, especially during, um, dancing with the stars mm-hmm. during Latin week, uh-huh. Derek Huff comes in and he brings his partner and they oh, practice wow. on, on the dance floor with you, you know? And That's the reason cool. I bring that up is because I've seen people your size and bigger wow dancing there and the place is small and, and, and so and by the way the bigger you are the more to your advantage because uh, the girls want to dance with you for some reason wow and second you don't even you have to Charles. you don't even have to move you don't even have to move on that you know like uh-huh. it's not about flashy like one of the things in hindsight uh, looking back at all my dancing through the years uh-huh. it's the less I dance the better the mm. more I dance the woman is really the goal here. I see. Wow. How do I lead? How do I make her feel comfortable? Because the best compliment you can get as a guy is not you're a great dancer. Mm-hmm. It's you're a great leader. Wow. Now, do you have to have some type of connection with your partner? Because when I think of salsa, I think of love, passion, uh, definitely you know, connection. Yes. You yeah, know, yeah, um, right. just so much, you know, because it's, it's most definitely. So do you have to have a connection with that person to, to, to move and well, to do the things you do? Yes and no. Right. I mean, the ultimate connection is, you know, you bring, you bring your date, uh-huh, you know, uh-huh. and like your guys are going to connect to a much higher level. Um, but no, and you go to the salsa club, you don't know anybody. I mean, you've probably seen a few people a couple of times. You go, Matt, would you like to dance? May I have this dance? Would you like to dance? You meet them on the spot. Wow. And because the context of it is so much different mm-hmm. than any other setting, there are very few places, and I say this respectfully to all the ladies in your audience, huh? <laughs> there are very few places where you can go up to a woman mm-hmm. and within seconds of meeting her, Literally have your arm around her, wow. hold hands with her, be able to look at her in the eyes, and it'd be okay. Where is this at? Uh, it's called salsa dancing. <laughs> I need to learn salsa dance. <laughs> yeah. and, and I'm telling you, one of the first things that I, that I did when I came to this country was, um, you know, start dancing with people wow. because I didn't speak English. Now, you, you have amazing energy, by the way. I can tell by your energy hey. that you're very passionate about salsa what made you get so passionate about this and what would drive drive you to really you know pursue this john john great question um 
it's not a job. Mm-hmm. I think if it was a job, I, I would, you know, come five o'clock and say, okay, I'm done sharing this with people. It is very much, um, for me, a sense of justice. Uh-huh. I see. And I, I had so much fun growing up in Springfield, dancing with my family, dancing, you know, watching them enjoy themselves. Mm-hmm. As I grew up, you know, 13, 14, 15, even in high school, at Lanfair High School, I couldn't, I couldn't for the life of me understand why aren't people also dancing and enjoying themselves. Mm. Especially to Latin music, they're taking Spanish 101. Uh-huh. They're learning how to speak the language, right? But they're not also enjoying, you know, the point of learning how to how to understand Spanish. To me, was so you can so you can understand the song, so you can right, dance. Right, and you can, right. So when I joined the Navy, it made sense to me. When I joined the Navy, um, I was all of a sudden in Russia, Romania, Bulgaria, Ukraine. France. I was living in Italy. We went to Korea, Singapore, Hong Kong, Dubai. Next thing you know, my salsa dancing that in Springfield, Illinois was between me and my family. Uh-huh. It was what was introducing me to women around the world. They didn't wow. have to speak Russian, Romanian, Bulgarian, Ukraine. <laughs> I just danced and I was making friends and I would introduce my friends to their friends. And I said, this thing is amazing. Like Why? people Why? talk about music, bringing people together. This is literally happening. So when I came back from the Navy and I started school, I got really, really excited. I wanted to make it my whole career in studying. How does this music, you know, bring people together? And I started to own it. I felt the responsibility that, you know, I, everyone talks about um, the contributions of the Latino community in the political context. Uh-huh. I was wanting to just share the contributions of the Latino music in mm-hmm. America and make it non-political, make it more about just being happy with each other mm-hmm. and enjoying enjoying the moment. Wow. Yeah. I think that's amazing because, you know, I don't understand any of the language that the song is playing, but I can connect with it mm-hmm. in such a way where I I like that, you right. know? And I can feel myself, I can see myself, okay, if I'm learning salsa, I can see myself dancing to that. And it's just amazing how another culture can, can come together and connect with anybody and you don't even have to speak the language. That yeah, piggybacking off of that, what is the mind state being able to jump from place to place mm. and still keep your identity and then present that to people? Mm. Because as you were saying, you you came to this country. Where where did you come from? I came from Peru, Lima, Peru. Okay, Peru. so at what age? I was uh, turning nine. Right, so wow. turning nine—that's a very pivotal point in in one's life. Mm-hmm. You're coming of age where you're getting awareness of what's kind of going on. So you're coming from Peru to. Did you come to Springfield? Springfield, Illinois. Wow. How was that? It was a. It was a. You call about you know cultural shock. Uh-huh. So I, um, I thought I was properly trained to come to this country. You know, they they gave me the uh, Toys R Us catalog mm-hmm. so i was like that's what i want <laughs> i get there i want this I want that. I want. um but i had no idea and what you guys take for granted to me was like wow for example we uh, my mom and i we arrived in the abraham lincoln airport mm-hmm. so right off the bat we got out we got out we started driving to where we were staying my aunt's house and i started seeing mailboxes and i never seen mailboxes before wow like these little boxes outside the house. Uh-huh. Like, that looks pretty cool. Right. And I didn't have the concept of a, the mailman dr- opening it up. And uh, another thing was uh, Little Caesar's Pizza. Yeah. 
you know, and pizza, pizza. Yeah, uh-huh. that we, that was the first thing we had that day. Pizza, wow. pizza. How was? Did you like it? I really like to this day. <laughs> pizza, pizza, <laughs> pizza, um, pizza. <laughs> and that was probably one of my first words because we, we, I didn't have um, a lot of English classes. Uh-huh. Right. Uh-huh. And I tell you, I was fortunate. I arrived in June, June 6, 1990, around, it was a 7.30 p.m. flight wow. uh, from Chicago. And um, so I didn't speak English, but I, I got here during the summer. So I had all summer, I had a tutor who was preparing me to start school. Mm-hmm. And I was, was going to start fifth grade in my country, but they told me I would have to start fourth grade. Because I didn't speak English, and right off the bat, I was like, "Oh man, I'm you know, I'm behind and all those things." So I wanted to make up for it, so I really studied English. Uh-huh. I'm telling you, I, I I was going, you know, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. I was saying, you know, A E I O U. I was saying <laughs> black, white, orange. I was learning everything I could. Uh-huh. So I start school at Wilcox Elementary um, in the north side of town. Yep. Uh-huh. And I remember, you know, going, wow, I, I'm getting this. And people are saying hi. And I'm saying, hey, that means hola. <laughs> right, <laughs> so right. like, yeah. so um, everything was going great until we had our first fire drill. And the teacher said, okay, class, we're going to have our first fire drill today. When the fire alarm goes off, we're all going to stand up and go outside. Mm-hmm. Okay. Does everyone understand? And she looked at me and, and I nodded. Yes, I understand. Right. She was, oh. <laughs> well, at two o'clock that afternoon, all the kids stop getting start getting up except for me guys i'm sitting there and the teacher's like goes oh no you said you understood i'm so embarrassed um there was a girl named jamie burley jamie uh-huh. burley she was cute i liked her and she, but she was still she's disappointed huh? um the thing is i was so confused the teacher said i thought you understood what are you doing? I said, I understand. You said when the alarm goes off to get up. She goes, the alarm is going off. I said, no, the alarm is going on. When it goes off, I can't right, hear it. Right, she was taking right. it literally. Yeah, right. I mean, how else was I supposed to exactly, take it? Right. Exactly. She goes, oh, no, Julio. When the alarm is going off, it means it's on. I was like, what? Came home that day, told my mom, mom, let's pack it up, you know? <laughs> I don't think I want to get this. this. Yeah, yeah, but, uh, no, but here I am. It... it um, I stuck with it, and it's something that I take with me in all of my travels, in all my dancing instructions and dancing. There was a time where I did learn English, right? Mm-hmm. Fourth grade, fifth grade. But I didn't feel like I was an English speaker. You can try to suspend can, this. Yeah. I, see. I felt like I was faking it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I knew what to say, but I felt fake, pretending to speak your language. And I couldn't f- see myself as someone who just spoke like everybody else. Because I would see people going, oh, yeah, what do you want? Oh, that sounds so good. But I could speak it, but very formally, very, you know, trying to articulate every word because that's how I had studied it. Right, right. But, man, I, I, I think it would be around seventh grade, from fourth grade to seventh grade, when we actually had, I don't know if you remember at Washington. Did you ever go to Washington Middle School? Yeah. Well, that's when they started to do, um, like, these grammar tests, and they gave us a booklet with all of the vocabulary words. Uh-huh. <laughs> With big words, you know? (laughs) (laughs) And I started to really become a whiz at these big words. And the reason is because I would learn them in Spanish, Mm. you know, where where I would pronounce every word. Because in Spanish, it's pretty interesting. You can pronounce every word. And that way, when I had to spell it, I just recall it back. So I always get a perfect score on the spelling of these words. Wow. And also, I was learning big words. They say that, uh, I would say by the time I was done with seventh grade, I spoke better English than most of the kids around me. Wow. 
And, and so I've never gone back from that. In fact, um, I, I, didn't, I don't want to, but as I continue with my education, they throw more words and more words uh. at you. Like, oh, no more. <laughs> now, what age was you when you started dancing? So, oh, good question, man. Jeez. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> Look, um, dancing as a solo dancer, seven, back in Peru, six with my family. Uh-huh. Um, in high school, dancing. But, but dancing with a partner, which mm-hmm. is what I call dancing, mm-hmm. uh, I was 19. 19. I, I was in Italy. I went dancing. Uh, I left the boat. I was stationed overseas. And I went to a place called Camelot's in Italy to dance. Uh-huh. And I was dancing with this girl. I was you know, shaking my shoulders, doing all that. <laughs> thinking this girl's going to go, my God, you're an amazing dancer. Uh-huh. Like I was telling you, there's the best compliment is not you're a great dancer. is you lead well. And wow. I didn't lead it. At that time, I didn't spin girls. Heck, I didn't even put my arm around the girl. I was just always <laughs> dancing by myself. So you was Kobe Bryant. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, she left me on the dance floor. She said, uh, you don't know how to dance. And she left me there. And wow. I, I was like, what? So I ended up taking classes with a friend. He taught me what's called, what's the ultimate. It's a one, two, three, five, six, seven. And that's the language of salsa, mm-hmm. by the way. It's a... Your first, your first thing that I would teach you uh-huh. is one, two, three, five, six, seven. Now, do you have a favorite song that you would dance to, or, or like? Or? Yeah, what's your go-to? What's my go-to. <laughs> oh, when it comes to salsa, uh-huh. man, it's so, so many. Oh my gosh, I can't believe I answered it that way. <laughs> um, for me, there's a there's a, a salsa song that says. It's actually, it's called Sin, um, Sin Salsa No Hay Paraíso. Without salsa, there's no paradise. Mm. You know, it's by El Gran Combo from Puerto Rico. Uh-huh. And that song just, it's just all the, to, all the beat and the speed. And t- I always request it every time I go into a club. And I think the DJ just has to almost say, hey, thanks. Because you actually get people dancing to that song. Wow. Sin Salsa Without Salsa, there's no paradise. And mm-hmm. I believe that. Um, second close would be a song called Salsa is Mi Energia. Salsa is My Energy. Sung by a Japanese guy from a Japanese band Wow! where nobody spoke Spanish. They only <laughs> sung it. Wow. And he pulled it off. That's he pulled, yeah, yeah. One of the best bands of the 90s. Wow. Yeah. They, all the interviews, they had to have a translator because they didn't speak Spanish. Now, that's so funny because I never heard a bad salsa song. Like, I've never been like, oh, I don't like that. Like, every salsa song I heard, I enjoy, even though I don't know the words. Have you ever heard a, a bad song, salsa song before where yeah. you were just like... <laughs> 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, like, uh, um, so one of the things that has happened for me in the past few years uh-huh. is, because I've studied, one of the things that I've studied, like, is human nature, like human, when it comes to Latin music and salsa. There are... Th- Two things happening. There's salsa music, and then there's salsa dancing. Mm. And you have to separate those sometimes. There's salsa music, and then there's salsa dancing. Uh-huh. Some people like the music, and they don't dance. Mm-hmm. Some people like to salsa dance. They really don't care much for the music. Wow. That's why you can watch Dancing with the Stars. Uh-huh. When they say, the next stop is the salsa, and they're dancing Beyonce, you're like, what the heck? <laughs> they're dancing the salsa steps to any song. Wow. You know, because all, most of the songs have that 12 beat, you know, and you can still go one, two, three, four, mm-hmm. five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. 10, 11, 12. 
So I've, I appreciate both. I like salsa music and salsa dancing. What that means is I'll dance and sing at the mm. same time. Oh, wow. And if the songs, if the lyrics are not clicking with me, I don't want to dance it. I see. You know what I'm saying? The, yes. The beat could be good, but if the lyrics are just like, uh, I'll pass. Wow. Because I have to enjoy what I'm dancing because I understand it. Right. And I wanted to test the theory out that if you could understand what's going on, would you dance it? Because you said you like every song because I'm assuming you probably don't understand what they're saying. I don't. <laughs> so for example, I'll play for you a song here and maybe you can uh, play it for your uh, people <laughs> in the computer. It's, I started to take songs, uh, songs that you probably know uh-huh. and all they did was change it to be salsa. Oh, wow. And being able to do that gives me the opportunity to see how people react and not react based on the salsa dancing, mm-hmm. but how they react based on the salsa um, music. So where is this song? Right That's here. Deep. I see that theory. Tell me, mm-hmm. <laughs> here's what the salsa instruction would be like. If you're learning how to salsa and I say one, two, three, five, six, seven, this uh-huh. is what you would hear, right? This would be your, this would be your your salsa language. Right. A five, six, seven, a one. No matter what part of the world you go to, if, if, if this is what you dance, if this is what you can say, you're in. Wow. So now, what if you knew what the song was saying, and you could dance it? This is what it would be like. Ever heard this song? I'm familiar with yep. this song. So I can salsa to the song. Because it's gonna be in salsa style, so watch. Yep. It's one, two, three, five, six, seven. One, two, three, five, six, seven. One, two, three, five, six, seven. So I like he that. got him on deck on the phone. He got so him. He's ready. He got you him. see that <laughs> on deck? <laughs> That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool, man. So so so, how did you make it out to L.A.? So I oh, so not to not to uh, sound like I was running away from Springfield, which is my mm-hmm. home, but. I had just spent uh, all this time in the Navy, right? I mm-hmm. had traveled to the world, as they say, which sounded cliche when I joined it. And definitely, I lived it. I was blessed. Um, most people only go to one station and they stay there. Mm-hmm. I got so lucky I was stationed on one side of the country, another side of the world, and traveled on a boat. So when I came back to study in, in Carbondale at SIU, I had spent, I spent years there. Mm-hmm. And restricted to traveling. But I had traveled so much that I didn't mind. From SIU, I graduated and I come back to Springfield and I spent four years here because I got it. I said I was only going to be here for 10 months and then I was going to go back to Italy. But I got so caught up in doing things with the community and I got so invested and so many responsibilities. And I felt that I had gone from thinking internationally uh-huh. to national, then to state, all of a sudden just to the city and then Sangamon County. Right. Wow. And I was like, if I. I want to really understand how to do this and impact a, a large number of people. 
I'm going to have to go back to a macro state of mind, to a bigger state of mind. And I wasn't going to be able to do that here. I was, uh, I loved it here. I had a great, a lot of people that, you know, appreciated what I was doing. But I knew that my 10 years was running. So I had to go somewhere where I could be around people that have the resources and the, and the mindset that when they do something, it's not just for their city, that it can actually influence the whole country. Right. And I had a friend in the salsa world, he invited me out there for a visit, and uh, I never came back. I, I went out there, and I was like, this is a city. Because I was thinking New York. It could be New York. Mm-hmm. It could be Chicago, um, Miami. But there was something about L.A. There was something about the power of entertainment. Um, and ultimately, that's what I believe. I believe that the power of entertainment is really where it's at and when you're trying to get this message out. So I started to not only get a master's in media, uh, to promote this, but mm-hmm. also I started to make friends with uh, a lot of people in the entertainment industry. That's awesome. And it turns out that there's a lot of salsa dancers out there, but there's not a lot of salsa ambassadors. There's not a lot of people wanting to use the music to better their communities, mm-hmm. you know, and I want to help those people. I want to help all instructors and all performers and all DJs kind of have a more business. My ultimate goal for me is just to have more people enjoy it and like it and try it out and, and better their communities with it. Now, you're in L.A., and I have to ask you this. Uh-huh. Now, Charles hate this, but how do you feel about LeBron James coming to L.A.? Oh, man. Look, I, I, don't, know, <laughs> I don't know what the politics is in this room right now, but look, I personally have no problem with the man. I, I don't know. I don't, I'm not in, I don't follow it like that. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, so for me, I think it's, it's, it's really different. It's really cool. I think that I think the young man is is uh, doing a lot that he can to be a good ambassador. Are you going to a game? I've never been to a game. Oh, I've never, I've never <laughs> been to a game. I, I, I drive by it all the time. I've uh-huh. seen all of the billboards that he's wow. there. I've seen both sides of the aisles, you know, making their statement. But right, you know. Now, oh. since you since you brought him, up, <laughs> you know what? I've turned over a new leaf. What? what? Oh man! All right, this is this is this is world news right here. It is. I'm a LeBron James fan. Whoa! Whoa! <laughs> I'm a LeBron James fan. Oh, that's a round of applause, everyone. I can't believe it. Hey, you know what? There's, <laughs> what made you? I, I gotta ask you. What made first you? of all? I've never been a LeBron James <laughs> hater intentionally. I might uh-huh. have sounded like that coming off sounding like that, but it's just his fan base but I'm beyond all that <laughs> because I'm Kobe's my favorite player oh yeah most so definitely. I'm guilty by association being a Laker fan before I was a Golden State fan uh-huh. now, I hear you now you know he, he, hey. he, he we have I have something to root for as hey. a as a Laker fan welcome aboard we welcome you welcome I appreciate on. it you know what I'm, I'm gonna switch hats I'm gonna, t- I'm gonna take the hat off I'm gonna put the, the Laker hat on that's good in he, honor of Julio and, and LeBron I'm gonna put the Laker hat let's on do it, let's do it <laughs> that's great hey that's what's up but is Andre listening to this <laughs> you know what he he, he understands right. we, we've put on for Dre long enough oh, and okay. if, if he knows what's good this probably might be his last year in gold state <laughs> you know, it's crazy. Um, I used to think LA was like the hardcore fan because I mean, I see it all the time, and people were really all about the Lakers. But I get a chance to go to Oakland a lot uh, mm-hmm. to do yes. visits, and they even the Chinese restaurants have all their you know, um, Washington's 
the warriors wow. yeah. all over the walls. Like in wow. Chinatown, you're like, oh my gosh, it's, everybody's all about it. I heard it's, it's a different atmosphere in the, the Bay bus, Area. The buses, wow. uh, all the, the, the street buses, they have like They're wrapped gold with warriors. it. Yeah, gold yeah. warriors. They love them out there. I mean, mm-hmm. even before the... I was going to say when they went on the, it's hard not to love (laughs) somebody's on the run. But they have diehard fans. Like them fans, you can't tell them nothing. And then they love E40, and E40 love the Warriors. (laughs) (laughs) For real. I love it. Getting back to some, some, some more business talk. What are some difficulties that you faced trying to start your, your business? Well, I think um, on a serious note, I, I, you know, have you've heard people say, follow your dreams? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really good advice, but that's just half the, half the advice. Break that down. What does that mean to you? It, follow your dreams is, to me, the easy part. You know, it, you do some work with it. Like, what am I good at? You know, what am I naturally gifted at? There's emotional intelligence theories out there that says you're all naturally born with one gift intelligence like Mozart was no Einstein Einstein was no Mozart uh, yeah, they're both geniuses mm-hmm. so if you do what you're naturally good at and you actually like it then you're on a good path right that's following your dream uh, for me especially around 2010 like I was telling you it went from following your dreams to protecting your dreams mm. protecting your dreams from reality mm-hmm. from your family members who only want the best for you from the economy, from girlfriends, from, you know, whoever whoever is relying on you, that's the hard part because you have to then balance, are you being irresponsible and wanting to follow your dreams or not, you know? Right. And are you, so for me, it was delayed gratification to the max. Like, you know, how long do I not want to have a house? Go in deeper for that because I, I, when I speak to people about business and, like you said, going for your dreams. A lot of the 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 sentiment is instant gratification. We're, we're a society that's built on speed, instant gratification. If you went back to the computers that I started the internet on, you wouldn't even use them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> How do you keep that in mind, but kind of flip the switch and and get what you need done? Okay, so. I think had I had I started off with a product to sell, I I think it would have been a different game for me. Had it taken me ten years to sell a product, I think around year four, I probably could have made some adjustments to my sales tactic. So you you had to turn what you knew and what you believed in into an actual product. Exactly. So I had no product or service really to start off with because it's very intangible. Right. What are you selling? I'm selling happiness. What are you selling? I'm selling connection. What are you selling? What are you teaching? I'm not teaching you anything. Like all of these things that I that I say to you now with confidence. Right. When I said it then, they're like, this kid doesn't know what he's even selling, let alone be able to hand me a proposal, et cetera, et cetera. So I had a lot of people really rooting for me and wanting to help me, but they just couldn't, they couldn't make sense of what I was trying to sell them. Mm-hmm. Um, so they didn't know how to help me. I'll give you an example. I would call a nursing home. And said, hi, my name is Julio. Um, I, I wanted to know if I could come in and do some salsa with your residents. Mm-hmm. And they'd be like, are you talking about cooking? 
Oh, no, no. I mean salsa dancing with the residents. <laughs> salsa dancing with the rest. I'm sorry, young man. Um, our residents are old and, you know, I, I will not put them in a position where they may get hurt. But I do thank you for calling. Click. Wow. All right. Um, maybe I started that off wrong, right? So how do I say it? So I make another call like, hi, good afternoon. My name is Julio. Um, may I speak to the activity department? Yes. I wanted to uh, share with you, I, I have a program that I want to put on where I get residents, you know, dancing. Mm-hmm. Oh, our residents don't dance. Oh, I know, I know. But uh, it's about dancing in your chairs. It's about enjoying just music. So I had to, by default, create a program that would make sense to them. Mm-hmm. But at the same time I was doing that with the uh, seniors, I was also trying to go to schools. And I would have to create a whole pitch for them. What are you trying to do? Um, why do you want to come to the schools? Well, uh, I want to get kids to be active and moving physically, and I want them to enjoy you know, with, what Latin music is about. Well, do you have, um, you know, do you have a brochure? And at the time, I didn't have a brochure. So I have three, four, five different brochures. My message is all over the map chart. Uh-huh. Who is Julio? Who is mm-hmm. he? And then I would always get asked, who's your target market? You know, right. what is this? And I'm just like, and I would get pissed off, honestly. I would be like, why do I? Because I, I studied marketing. So don't talk mm-hmm. to me about segmenting my market. I know it. But I also know that toilet paper is something that everybody can use. Right. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> right. So I'm trying to sell something that everybody can use. Right. I don't know what it's called. One day I'll figure it out, I used to say to myself, but let me just try it. So I did many things for free. I did many things by, you know, by just default. I would go in thinking I'm going to do something, and it turned out to be a whole different thing. Wow. And I would run with it. And like, you know, I would go in there wanting to teach them how to dance, let's say. And I, there's a place called Petersburg, Illinois. Uh, yeah. There's a mm-hmm. nursing home called Sunny Acres. And I went there, and I wanted to teach them how to dance as seniors, right? And talking, you know how obviously I like to talk. So I was like, Ma'am, uh, there's this dance called salsa, and it goes one, two, three, five, six, seven. But don't confuse it with the cha cha cha, which uh-huh. is step and cha cha cha. This lady calls me to her wheelchair. She goes, "Young man, less talking, more dancing, baby." <laughs> yeah, that's You're good. You're putting on the show. So, so I'm like, oh shoot, you know, like why am I even trying to teach? There's, uh-huh. So, teaching was scratched off my list. It was just, just dance, baby. Just enjoy it. So um, to kind of answer your question, I think for me, it's been the, the struggle and, and, and staying consistent has been, had I, wanted, had I known that my product, because I look at it now and say, you know, what I'm really trying to sell is enjoy the moment as you're able. Mm-hmm. The minute you hear that Julio's coming, one of you is going to be excited the other one is going to be freaked out because, oh my God, I don't dance. Oh, it's just, uh, all the, whatever internal and external. Right. I'm coming and I know that. I, because I'm a motivational presenter, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I don't, I'm really looking to make you comfortable. Like I was telling John, like my first thing that I would do is not teach you. It would be to put you in a state of mind where you're like, oh, maybe I can do this. And the way I would do that is by acknowledging that you look very comfortable in that chair. And who am I to come to your home and make you feel uncomfortable? And I know motivational speakers go around saying, you need to step out of your comfort zone because everything good happens (laughs) outside of that comfort zone. Uh Uh Hey, half the group is down with that message. The other group, me included, I didn't play sports like that. 
I hear, you need to step out of your comfort zone. I freak out. I go, oh, man. Right. <laughs> but I'm comfortable. Right. I've worked so hard to make this comfortable. So what I do is I play to that. I go, look, Charles, you look very comfortable there. And you know what? Maybe, uh, maybe it's taken you a little while to get comfortable. Heck, maybe you just got there yesterday. So enjoy it a little bit more. But I do ask you to enjoy this presentation as you're able. And I want you to take it in. Because my hope is by the end of our time together, your comfort zone will mm -hmm. grow a little bit. Mm -hmm. Don't step out of it. Just grow. And do it from the comfort of your chair, from the comfort of your comfort zone. I've said this to kids and adults, and it works the same. When I am not trying to pull people out of their chair, when I'm not trying to make people dance, mm -hmm. I actually have a much higher success rate. And what they come and tell me uh, after the presentation, very rarely does it have to do with dancing. It has to do with when I was a kid, this happened to me, and that's why I, I'm scared of dancing. My, an elderly person will tell me when I was growing up, my parents didn't allow me to dance. Like all, I haven't danced since I was since 40 years ago when my husband died. All of these personal stories mm -hmm. is what the Salsa Ambassador gets to be sharing with people. Mm -hmm. Not so much the dancing. Because if you want to dance when I leave, it's up to you to take advantage of the resources. Now, you know? have you had a time where you wanted to give up? Um, and what caused that? And also, too, for anybody else out there that mm -hmm. has a dream and want to give up, how can your story, you know, inspire them <clears throat> as well? Dang, John, that's a second great question. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, um, giving up is, um, is a constant um, mm -hmm. because, and I'll put it in two ways, right? There's the professional and then there's the personal. Professionally, I knew that it would take me about 10 years mm -hmm. to be able to have this service or product or something to sell, mm -hmm. whether it's my story um, or whether it's something I've learned. So professionally, I knew that I couldn't, and also it was easy not to give up because there's nothing else I want to do, you know? Mm -hmm. Like I'm yet to find the job that makes me go, all right, I quit. Let <laughs> me go do that, you know? I've had job offers. Mm -hmm. But personally, the things that I've given up um, stability, you know, a sense of stability um, has made me question uh, why am I doing this? Mm -hmm. um, growing older and, and having people still think that what I do is a hobby mm -hmm. and, and asking you, like, are you sure you don't care about Social Security? Mm -hmm. You know, like, because as a sole proprietor, you know, and as a business, you 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 don't follow the same rules other right. people do, right? Right. You, you put as much money as you want towards your retirement in your own ways, and very rarely are you thinking about, you know, what can, what will I get as a pension? You're thinking like my investments, my my stock value, my personal value, and you also know that you can make a lot more sometimes if you make it mm -hmm. in one year than most people can make uh, twenty years working mm -hmm. if you follow the right thing. Right. And I think it clicked for me when I met the dog whisperer. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Caesar. Caesar Milan, uh -huh. right? And I said to myself, if Caesar Milan <laughs> can make money with dogs, uh, then I have no problem doing making money sure. with salsa, right? Sure. But um, he did what he did. And he, and, and, oh, side note, that guy really does have that alpha presence. Does he? I was walking to he the gym, I was walking to LA Fitness, <laughs> and I, I saw him cleaning his window. In his apartment, because uh -huh, he had uh -huh. his apartment right there by Universal Studios. Wow. And I'm like, 
oh my gosh, because my friend had told me that he lived in the area. <laughs> uh-huh. And here I am walking, I see him, I'm like, and just like a guy who doesn't care, walks up, <laughs> knocks on the door, he opens, and I'm, I'm like, <laughs> that's crazy. And I'm like, hello. <laughs> and he's like, hello. And his presence, obviously, like, you know, it, you've got the celebrity factor, mm-hmm. you know, that celebrity shock. But even then, you could feel like his confidence. And then to add to it, the little doggies come out. He's like, he looks at it. He's like, he was so cool. He invited me to see his uh, in his garage. He had wow. pictures of his uh, his uh, pit bull that you know really meant a lot to him. Mm-hmm. And and I did. The, it was the first uh, first time because up to then I was taking pictures with celebrities, but when I met him. Um, I did something that I've continued to this day, which is I told him, you know, Cesar, um, normally I'd ask you for a picture because, you know, for Facebook, but I'm not going to. I just want to, you know, enjoy this moment with you. And I hope we see, I hope we meet again. Mm-hmm. And he said, I appreciate that, you know. Yeah. Wow. And, I said, and from that moment, I started to, to think to myself, you know, I don't want to just meet these celebrities, mm-hmm. right? I want to work with them. I want to collaborate with them. I want to be able to, to take what I'm doing to the next level and be seen as an equal. Sure. You know, I'm not a celebrity within, within the world of uh, entertainment in, because I never asked to, I never asked for a headshot. I never wanted to do that because I knew that I would be ready for that in 10 years. Now, because <coughs> um, your, your story oh, um, yeah. is really intriguing. And um, what what is the hardest thing you had to overcome in life and where did you how did you find the power and the inspiration to overcome that because yeah. you know sometimes being a motivational speaker mm-hmm. you know you could speak positive to everybody else but when something hits you it's man. like man how hey, man, you're, you know where do you find your source you know so you're, you're okay yeah so you're really diving into here <laughs> so look um it is very much true like you can you're either motivating people, you're either encouraging others, but who motivates you, right? Right. I think for me, it's always coming back to like my mother, you know, my family members, and and this this sense of justice. Like, um, it has been really hard. I think for me, when I left home, because I'm a very much family person. So mm-hmm. my mother being, you know, my a single mother, and I'm the only child. Uh-huh. It's really hard to leave. But I knew I was doing it for a much greater, a greater mission. Mm-hmm. I told you that, that, that quote, you know, that I don't feel like this is my idea and that I'm motivated to do my, it's like the idea has a hold of me mm-hmm. that is elusive. Like mm-hmm. I ask it sometimes, I pray, I go, please God, like just tell me what the heck I'm supposed to be doing. Right. Because you putting me, keeping me in the dark puts me in a position where I can't even explain to people mm. what I'm doing. Right. And so people want to know. People want to know, like, you know, this is what I do. Oh, okay, great. This is how we can help you. But when you don't know, th- that sense of, it gives you insecurity. Mm-hmm. So I've tried so many things. I've dabbled on so many things. And I always ask, okay, can I please stop? Can I please, can today be the day that I actually go, right, right. this is what I want to do. But that's part of following your dreams. Following your dreams, and I, I'm sure you've seen the picture, you know, success is not a straight route. No. You, know, <laughs> you know, I've had days where, for example, one of the first times in, that I got a uh, paid gig as a motivational speaker, I got a $5,000 paycheck. Awesome. For the same thing I was getting paid 50 bucks for. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, how, what? Right. And, you know, and I started to acknowledge that 
Yeah, yeah, I've gotten a little better at what I'm doing, but it's when you are not just teaching dancing, but you're like using it for something else. Mm -hmm. But then when I got that paycheck, the obvious thing to do would have been like, okay, I'll stop here. This is what I want to do. Mm. Let me make five next week, next year, six, seven. But yours truly was not on that mission. I was like, oh, wow, that motivational speaking world is great. I was asked to be a, like come in to do team building uh, for a university. Uh-huh. And I was like, okay, that's great. But now I'm going to go back to the seniors, mm. you know, where I don't make 5,000. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. You know, let me go back to people with disabilities where I definitely will not. And in fact, um, I, there was an administration here at this in Illinois where I went to meet with the, uh, the chief of staff of uh, one of the lieutenant governors. Mm-hmm. And she, wanting to help me, said, Julio, I recommend that you focus just on kids because there's no money to be made with the elderly or the disabled. And she was actually wanting to help me, but to me it was backwards. Like, sure. you're asking me to keep the marginalized mm-hmm. marginalized. So I definitely, you know, was able to, at that moment, I was like, oh, I don't think we're on the same page. Right. My mission wasn't how do I make most money? Uh, how do I make money off of this program? How do I make? It was how can I create the most social capital? You know, and within the world of entrepreneurship, you either make, you know, there's social capital. And I'm a social entrepreneur. And, and I knew that I could always translate that into money because I've seen it. Mm-hmm. So I think one of the first things that could help anybody who's out there listening is when you get your first paycheck that you're happy with, with for what you're doing, hold on to that because that might last you for about a year or two, that feeling. If wow. you really keep it close, because you know it exists, you know it's possible. It's tangible. Yeah. Yeah, it's tangible. Like, oh my gosh, I, I can make money off of this. Right. But don't settle if that's not what you're ready for, you know? Because that idea of like, I made it, you settle. You, you, can't, you know, if, if something inside you is saying, but this is not what, I, what I'm signing up for, there's, there's more to it. If you don't give yourself a timeline and you're just going for you're feeling right, I'd say because there's nothing sadder. And there's a speaker, I don't know if you've seen him online, um, Gary V. For sure. Gary V will always tell you that the saddest thing is regret, mm. you know, seeing the regret in, your, in people's eyes of what they could have done. Mm-hmm. And I've had, the, I've had the fortune of being able to visit so many retirement homes and nursing homes. And he speaks on that, and that's where you can really get right. that feeling, you know, people that have spent a long time on earth and you're in there as a motivational <laughs> speaker or an uplifter right. and you know you're touching the people in there and they're having conversation with you and hearing the thing you know what i wish i would have really went for it mm-hmm. i wish i would have right. i wish i wouldn't have held back and mm-hmm. did what my husband or wife said or my my mom or dad i would have just followed my own gut mm-hmm. and went and laid it out on the line right. and there's something to be said about that for somebody that can have the self-awareness to understand that, you know what, like you said earlier, you know, these people in our lives are, you know, they, they, they want the best for you as well, but they don't have the desire that you have. And that's what translates mm-hmm. the want into materializing that here in the matrix, mm-hmm. the desire mm-hmm. to bring it out, to put ideas down, to actually materialize this dream, this process you know, you want to be a salsa dance. You want to be the ambassador right. of salsa. Yeah, It's deeper than that. You have right. to submerge yourself. Like you're saying, it's not just the music. you got to understand the language so you feel what you're trying to bring 
and project towards the world. Mm-hmm. That's right. Charles, like I, I think uh, if I had some advice for Julio 10 years ago, it would be like, you know, it's okay that you don't know. Because I, I was so, I was so pressured to somewhat know. Um, and I held myself to that standard. Um, you know Hannibal Burris, the sure. comedian? So Hannibal um, was, um, we, went to, we went to school at the, pretty much the same time. At Carbondale? At Carbondale. Right. Because one of my first activities that I went to was a comedy show. And he was the president of the comedy club. And, um, but he dropped out of school. And then I didn't see him for many years until I saw him on Jimmy Kimmel. Mm-hmm. And then I, I was like, oh, man, that's cool. So I reached out to him on Facebook. And I kind of spoke to him uh, just uh, briefly on, like, you know, some advice on, on what he's doing. Uh-huh. And he's really the one that put it in my head, this idea of, like, you know, a comedian doesn't teach anybody anything. He just makes you do it. He doesn't teach you how to laugh. At that time, I was really pushed to come up with so many structured, you know, things that, you know, what is it that you're doing with salsa, and how can it be replicated? How can it be replicated by our staff members? Mm-hmm. And where's the sustainability? And where's the? How can we bring it to scale? And all these things that at that time I was like, wow, all I'm trying to do is make people just enjoy and dance and feel good, and I think that's important. But if I have to teach it to others how, how do you how, a comedian can't teach you his jokes right you know because right. it's not as funny and if he tells you his jokes twice it's not as funny it's not, so he just no, has to tell not. it to you one more t- one time <laughs> get you happy and then you go off and continue being happy that's valuable so why so uh, for me the salsa ambassador held himself to such a high standard that it was never enough even when I knew that I could walk into any retirement home and and just you know make people just feel good and, and get out and, and participate. That was it. When I went with kids and I made kids appreciate their education, that wasn't like, well, there's, what is, what is the ultimate here? And I mean, I would say it probably take me in the next 10 years to even actually clarify it, but I can tell you with confidence that it's okay for me to, to not have to justify anything that I was asked to do 10 years ago. Um, all I'm trying to get people to understand is that life is short. If you're lucky, you'll be old. Ability is temporary. Shake it while you still can. Shake it, but don't break it. <laughs> you know. Today I was at Lincolnland Community College doing a presentation. Right? And we had some, some of the students there. And of course, when you're 18, 19, 20, like, you're either too cool for school. Yeah. Or, uh-huh. And look... I've, I've gotten that out of my system, right? This idea that if they're not dancing, I'm not doing a good job. Like, that used to be my problem, mm-hmm. but not anymore. Because now I'm thinking, oh, man, I'll see you in 60 years, you know? <laughs> when, you're, when you're in your right, wheelchair right. and it's too late. But I did something very interesting today that I want to share with you guys. I played them a song at 19 that I had only reserved for people in their 80s and 90s. Because I didn't think it would click the same way. That song comes about because 10 years ago, I played a song uh, to seniors thinking that I want to, how do I play, what song can I play for seniors that would make them feel good, right? Not just that music is good, but what song with the lyrics will make them go, you know what? I feel really good about myself and thank you for playing that. So I thought I found the right song and that song was going to be was Frank Sinatra's I Did It My Way. Mm-hmm. And 
I did it my way. I was like, man, if you're a senior sitting there going, shoot, you know, I lived my life, I did it my way. I downloaded the song and I and I pushed play after I introduced myself and told him, I dedicate this song to all of you. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, you guys know how that song begins? Uh-huh. How's it go? The first lines of that song, and now the end is near. Oh, no. <laughs> At that moment, how did you feel? Charles, I was so embarrassed, <laughs> so confused. How was, you know those moments where you're like, you're so hot, you uh-huh. know, everything, just, your ears kind of clog up, and you're like, you're, and I'm hoping that this thing ends. And it just takes forever for him to get to the part where he goes, I did it my way. Yeah. <laughs> and I felt that by the end of the song, like, they're all going to boo me out of there. Like, thanks for reminding us, uh-huh. man. You know, the angel of death. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I played it, and um, I, I saw some heads nod, you know, and, and some people go, yeah. And, and they clapped, and I was like, I'm sorry. I said that. I said, I'm sorry. Uh-huh. I didn't mean to, you know, remind you guys that the end is near. But So I kind of played it off and never played it again Mm-mm. for 10 years. Uh-huh. I started playing it uh, last week at, here in Springfield as a way of saying, you know what, I'm going to redeem myself. Because uh-huh. the confidence that I have now that I didn't have then is where I can look at seniors and go, you know what? Uh, ladies and gentlemen, if today was to be the last day of our lives, uh, can you look back and say, you know what? No regrets. I did it my way. And there's no ta- there's nothing taboo about acknowledging that life can end like that. Right. For That's you true. or me. You know? So it's a celebration of everything we've done. And as a thank you for your contributions to Springfield, both from your professional and social lives, I'd like to dedicate this song to you. I played it with that introduction instead of I like to dedicate the song to you thinking that you know I just straight up front told him I played it tears wow singing just thank you young man thank you young man wow and I was like wow yo, that's a song that's powerful because of the words obviously say um, you know I've, I've gone through every highway mm-hmm. regrets I've had a few but then again too few to mention. Right. So I played this song for these kids at Lincoln Land today. You know, and said, hey, kids, I know you're only 19, but if you were to look back at your life today, could you, could you relate to these lyrics? So I played it on the screen, and I put, sat back and watched. Man, none of them cried, but you had this sense of... They accept it. Yeah. <laughs> and I think it's something to think about. Like, you know, every day I think we should... I mean, in, in in meditation. Sure. Acknowledge uh, what we've done and not just wait for our obituary, you know. Acknowledge and, and be grateful and, and be thankful and, and set up goals for, you know, the future that you can look back in. That's what the South Ambassador does, but with, with music, with Latin music. Totally agree. He's the angel of death. <laughs> <laughs> you said a couple of things that were very interesting in that last sentence to me. You said goals and meditation. Do you write down goals? Do you meditate? Yes, yes. Do I, you merge the two together? I my monkey doesn't doesn't settle enough to do two things at one time. <laughs> Got you. But I barely get him to stop dancing. Because <laughs> 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 I got my monkey dances. Yep. But listen, uh, meditation I took up because uh, when when I came back from the military, I had worked for the chaplain 
So I okay. I was working with all the different religions, mm-hmm. and I found that all religions had within themselves, you know, the spirituality that was good. You took the message that most religions around the world have. You have a very spiritual life. So there's this church here in Springfield. It's the Unitarian Universalist congregation. And what they do is, in the congregation, they have people from all the different faiths. Excuse me, Catholic, Jewish, um, Buddhists, and, and, uh, the, and Islam. And one of the things that I started to do when I went there was starting to appreciate the practice of Buddhism. Mm. Um, especially to my friend Linda, and I really appreciated this one thing. This one thing that actually made me become a a, a, a practitioner. It was that the Buddha inside all of us has no problems, only questions. The Buddha has no problems, only questions. So where we always have, oh, I have this problem. I got this problem. I got this problem. Your internal Buddha just sees it as a question and if you practiced going I have this question then there will always be an answer and you shift you shift this negativity from it because it's just your spirit is just enjoying everything as is mm-hmm. there's no negative or positive and that has shifted for me a lot of what would I consider stress problems you know like oh I got this problem what am I going to do because then that book came out The Secret Right, and you know this whole idea of, you know, attracting problems. There's a quote by um, Mother Teresa that says, "Don't invite me to an anti-war rally, but if you have a pro-peace rally, I'll go." I see. So you empower what you want. You don't fight what you don't. You know, kind of the end. The end result is somewhat the same, but you acknowledge and so. For me, writing down goals as well as taking time for myself to 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 sit down and breathe is, is almost um, as important as my daily dancing. It's you know eighty percent of your health is your quality of life, and if really? you don't, that's you don't, that's very in, yeah. interesting and okay. important. As I use school of medicine doctors, I'll tell you like we're, we've got the twenty percent down. Like we'll give you all the medicine you need. That eighty percent of your health is out of our hands like what are you doing activity wise for your physical mental and emotional health and you get to spread the the message for your work yes (laughs) I do you you keep saying interesting things Mm -hmm. that make me think of other things are you an ordained minister (laughs) <laughs> hey, hey so this weekend i got yeah i um so i got ordained uh, last year how was that well i was um i got asked by a friend of mine to officiate his wedding uh-huh. so i had seen it on how i met your mother uh-huh. you know? <laughs> did it. so i was like hey if that's true i'd like to do it you know again i worked with the chaplains in the military right mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I'm very much a a person that believes in in spirituality and in the union and communion. So the Universal Life Church um, will offers you know the opportunity for people to get ordained, and they give you all the credentials necessary, and they give you the training, and and then you you know you add your your own spice to it, right? So I do salsa weddings. Really? <laughs> yeah, I add a little bit of Latin music to it for my friend. Uh, so I've done three weddings this weekend. This past weekend was my third one. And this was interesting because it was my aunt 
who is Peruvian, so the fam- have a Peruvian family in the audience. Her husband is French, so we have the French audience, and the guests are from the U.S. Wow. So it was a trilingual language script, you know? For sure. Et vous, et and then so so French is your third, your third language? So Lanfear High School wow. was trying to teach me French. And I was like, why? <laughs> <laughs> There's no French speakers here. Right. I was just getting in trouble. And uh, <laughs> just Ted toi is all I said, which means shut up. Ted toi, Ted toi. Next thing you know, I joined the Navy after high school. Not even a year later from graduation, I was in Toulon, France, going... Wow. Oh, bonjour. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so so when I came back to when I went to college, motivation is really what can change everything. At Lanfear High School, I wasn't the smartest kid in the on the block, right? I was uh, detention. When they would say uh, homeroom, it was my joke that I would just go to detention for homeroom. <laughs> but it was because I was a rebellious kid, etc. Mm-hmm. But I didn't have the grades because of that to go to college. So going to the military wasn't like, oh, I'm always wanted to be in the military. I, had, I didn't have the grades for college. Lincoln Land asked me to take a test to see my, my proficiency. And I actually tested below. I had to do uh, remedial courses. Mm-hmm. That was going to come out of my pocket. And I was working at Ryan's Steakhouse at the time. I was like, you want me to spend $500 on classes that are not even going to be for credit? It was confusing, you know. I spent 12 years, uh, not 12 years, but since fourth grade in school, feeling smart, but obviously at the end, grades matter. Right. So when I joined the military, I found myself all of a sudden appreciating education. Appreciating, obviously, French, but also in the military. Did you know boot camp is all about uh, learning? A, a big percentage of your time in boot camp, those three months, is being in class. Really? Reading, wow. doing homework. The rest is running and push-ups. But you're like, what? I thought I was going to be getting built here. No. You're on there learning not only the history of the Navy. For me, it was history of the Navy, plus basic grooming and how to also uh, balance your paycheck. Uh, all these things that you Some don't life get. skills. Life skills. Mm-hmm. And that's why I think the military, you know, take away all of the wars. I think the military is actually a pretty cool thing for most kids. Um you know, that's a whole different topic of conversation. But I think, I mean, I'm not a recruiter. But I think in 1999 when I joined, it was a great thing for people like me. Because when I got out, I appreciated and I had a respect for education, family, uh, the law, hierarchy, uh, order, cleanliness. I graduated boot camp thanking God that I could walk on any side of the road that I chose, you know, because in boot camp, you can't, you know, right. you walk on right. this side of the street when you're going that way on this side. So when you graduate, you're like, oh my God, I can walk on any side of the street again <laughs> and I can talk and walk at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> so when you humbled like that, guess what grades I was getting in college? Straight A's. Right. Did I, you know, and it's like, wow, look, Lanfear High School, look, I'm a straight A student now, you know, like, right, right. And I would have never had that chance to prove that to myself or anybody had it not been for the military. Wow. And I think that's the disservice that sometimes we do in school because they just see how you're performing then 
And any action that's taken, oh, you should go to Lawrence or you should go to Douglas. Maybe, maybe school's not for you and you drop out. Your trajectory in life just takes a whole different route, you know? It wow. does. That's deep. <laughs> yeah. that's Man, deep. It's, it's hard to, to follow yeah. what you've just said for the last 40 to 50 minutes. Mm-hmm. I, mm. Julio, it, 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 it was it was great running into you in the, the capacity that I did. One of the things that I also want you to tell the listeners, what were you doing? What were you involved in with uh, those, those kids that I seen you with at the, uh, at night's action park? Oh yeah. So there, um, I have a, through salsa. Um, I've got a chance to meet a lot of people who do business in Illinois, in Springfield. So I myself was this business owner. Uh, and one of those first people that I met and a good friend, he became was uh, Doug Knight from Knight's Action Park. And um, these kids are, are developers um, for for a game. Wow. And uh, one of the things that I wanted to do, and it's all, we're in the early stages of it, obviously. But it's a... Uh, don't give away too much for yeah, me. Right, just, right. just shed a little light because I think it's... I want you to shed this light because, like you said, this is Springfield and I want people to be able to transcend their mind outside of this town. Mm. Go ahead. So what I saw was, you know, being in Los Angeles, seeing people f- come from all over the world to Universal Studios and Walt Disney, and Walt Disney, you know, Univer- uh, in Disneyland, I, I started to question, like, what makes Disneyland Disneyland? What makes Universal Studios and Warner Brothers Studios? And it's because you feel like you're in either the movie when you're mm-hmm. there or you're meeting characters from your childhood, like in Disney. Right. The games, the rides are not all that, you know, like right. a little teapot that goes around. <laughs> that's, that's, like, that's like the fairgrounds. Right. Uh-huh. But it's the teapots from the movie, mm. you know? So coming back to, to Springfield all the time and, and going to Night's Action Park, I, I always talk to my friend Doug about like, are, do, are people still growing up with that sense of like Night's Action Park being something from their childhood? And we have all these new kids growing up. Like, do they have that connection that, you know, I grew up with to, mm-hmm. to the Knights, to, to Shanghai Willie? And, and how can we enhance that? And how can we make it a more adaptable experience being now that we're in the digital age? So I was, um, I was one day walking through the park and I, I saw the map of the, map of the, map of the park. Mm-hmm. And I said, that looks like a video game to me. And from there, developed this whole talk about, you know, how do we make it where next summer, when you go to the park, you'll actually be able to say, man, not only am I in a park that's fun, but I'm in the video game that I was playing or that my kid was playing. And so that's really where we're at right now. And I want to make it where kids feel like they're meeting people or they're meeting characters that they're growing up with. Mm -hmm. The same way you would go to, you know, Mickey Mouse. And for me, it's personal because... When people go to Six Flags, you know, you have all your reasons, you know, like, oh, it's bigger and there's Daffy out there and Bucks right. Money. But let's let's stay local. Let's, you know, let's support our local businesses. Let's, yeah. it's really not a lot of towns have uh, an awesome um, landmark. And so this is something I want to do. And probably within the next six months, we'll, we'll be able to share, I think, details that are just going to blow your mind and you know, I, I'd love to to have those three kids come here. Those three chairs, for <laughs> sure, for sure, because they are Lincoln Land uh, products. Wow. These are ki- uh, we had a meeting today with them actually. I'm an alum. 
Yeah, and well, they they said that the game development program is one of the best uh, that they you know blew their mind everything they were able to learn, and based on that, um, we're putting their talents to to do this. This is going to be something for the. the it's going to benefit the whole community, um, and I'm very proud, and I can't be more happy that it's them. That's you know, amazing. there's that genuine when you meet somebody that wants to do business with you, and you can tell that. They're passionate about it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not just about the, making a buck out of it. Mm-hmm. You want to help them. You want to work with them, you know? Right. And you met this kid there. I, I actually gave him a tour of the whole park. They're like, oh, my amazing. God, I'm playing this game. And, <laughs> and Charles was practicing his swing. Yeah, and, and, and I appreciate what you've done for me. And to, to, to give you the uh, report, my first at bat was a three-run home run. All right, bravo, man. Yes, man. he was. Yes. It was gone. Yes. Oh, that's what's up. He, hey, not, to, not, not to throw him under the bus, but he was concerned that he wouldn't be able to do that. Yeah, <laughs> I, I needed to be able to do that. Uh, yeah. And I, I showed up and I performed, so that was what's up. With the help of you, um, is there anything that you want to let the listeners know, anything that you want to inform us about? <clears throat> Well, yeah, so twofold, right? At a personal level, I hope anybody listening in Springfield has the opportunity to do Latin dancing, I think, whether it's going to Salsa Nights, uh, I think La Fiesta on um, Stevenson Drive. It's going to have like a Halloween party on October 27th. So it's a Salsa Night. They have it at least once a month. So try it at least once, you know, go out there and and, and try it. They have Salsa lessons and things. Um, There's instructors in town like Ron and Paula, Pat Litterker, you know, they they may be a different style, but they are what we have right now. And if there's anybody out there listening that does know how to salsa and wants to teach, we need you, you know. Start a class. Let us know about it. Um, I come to town every so often, but not enough uh, to be consistent for a class. And the second thing I leave you with is I've spent the past 10 years really wanting to get better at what I do and by default making people's lives better. Mm. And I hope that if you're out there thinking about what you're doing, that you see it that way as well. You know, as you're out there getting better yourself, you're also making other lives, other people's lives better. And so take community service and flip it on its head. You know, the first time I heard the word community service, it didn't have a positive relationship. It was the judge telling me, right. Julio, you can't drive without a license. <laughs> community service. <laughs> and and I'm sure there's people out there that have that relationship with the word community service. But to me, it's about sharing your talent, sharing your passion, sharing your time with people who are not as fortunate as you are physically, mentally, or emotionally. So if you have the time and the opportunity to play a video game with uh, residents in retirement homes, call them up and say, hi, my name is so-and-so. I'd like to spend an hour playing video games with the residents. Watch the, res- the response they're gonna be oh my gosh because they do have that opportunity able able to happen you know what if you like podcasting for example something like this i'm sure um there are after school programs of kids who have amazing amazing stories and and they want to learn how to do what you're doing they just don't have the the resources available to them whether it's you know financial resources or time resources um there are people with developmental disabilities and for example at the hope school um who if you treat them with the same dignity and respect that you would treat anybody else, then you would give them the same opportunity to salsa. And I went there and I said, I wanted salsa with them, you know, and I spent years 
dancing salsa with a group of students at Hope School. And when I left to L.A., this one kid gives me um, a drawing. He had autism, um, high-functioning autism, but autism on the fact he didn't talk. But he was brought to me and said, hey, Julio, he wants to give you a gift that he's done. And he had drawn a, a salsa dancer. Wow. With his partner. It was beautiful. Like, it wasn't just, it looked professional. And I'm like, obviously wow. he knows what's going on. Obviously he gets it. He just couldn't communicate it, but he could communicate it through art. Right. And it was his way of saying, thank you for, for coming and dancing with me. So go out there and, and you'll be surprised as to how much uh, you'll enjoy and you'll get better at what you're doing. Don't just do it on your own sometimes. You know, if you're testing out something, test it out with residents. Um, I really push for senior citizens. Maybe it's because I'm biased because I'm feeling a little older now. So I'm associating myself more you're with... You're looking at the grade. That's what it is. <laughs> you know, look, and, and also let me put a plug in for seniors. Look, kids, there's, everybody talks about helping the kids. I don't know if you ever... What do you want to do? I want to help kids. I want to help kids. Everyone always wants to help the kids. Uh-huh. Right. They forget about the elderly and the per- and people with disabilities. We have more in common with the elderly and people with disabilities because we're not going to get any younger. But God forbid you get in an accident. Now welcome to the world mm-hmm. of disabilities. Mm-hmm. And and God and God uh, willing, you'll grow old and you will be part of the senior community. But being a kid again, 10, 11. So you have more and I I would say if you had to put your money in stock as to where do you want more to happen, put put more stock in activities for seniors. Because we have all these activities for college students. We have keep kids excited, keep kids off you know off the streets, keep Yeah, but what about a senior citizen? You know what I'm saying? Where's mm-hmm. their activities? Where's their pizza Friday, you know? So what I'm really hoping for you guys out there listening is if if 10% of your listeners multiplied by the amount of time you go out there um, and being able to share at least one hour um, a month um, bringing joy and happiness to the residents of Springfield you'll be making a contribution to your own future because you'll raise the quality and the standard of aging aging gracefully and you'll and you'll actually be able to give some ideas to the activity directors who'll go you know what you know bingo that's nice but that's not enough because as you get older, you may find that bingo is not enough to keep you happy at 80. Mm-hmm. You know, like what's what's going to keep you guys happy? I mean, let me ask you. I'm going to flip it on you before I go. Yeah. <laughs> if you were 80 years old sitting here in this nursing home, which is, by the way, it's a nice looking nursing home. <laughs> what activities would, would keep you excited and, and get you out of your rooms? Man, hopefully I'm still able to halfway swing a golf club so i'll hit it 30 times till i get to the green but if i'm unable to do that at that capacity man that's a great question i'm a i'm a cerebral guy so i have to do something to keep my mind occupied so it changes all the time so at 80 years old i hope to be still dealing on a mastery level of just challenging myself to accomplish things mentally because at that point, physically, it's probably over for me. Right, you know right. what I mean? I'm, I'm on the, the, the downhill mm-hmm. slide of the thing. But the mind doesn't stop until it starts having defects and things like that. So I want to keep <clears throat> the mind active so it doesn't have time to atrophy. I, I, got, I agree. Well, look, just so you guys 
I'm taking a mental picture of you right now as you are, for example, right? And if Charles the Fourth was here, I would tell him, this is where I'd like to see your father mm -hmm. at 80 or even at 88. This seems to be his happy spot. Mm. Please give him this in his nursing home. Let him sit there with his mic and his headphones and continue to give interviews out of his room because that's who Charles is. You know what I'm saying? He may be in his wheelchair right now, but his mind still asking questions. Right. And who's to say you can't set this up in your room? Right. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? That's what that's what the power of, of visuality is and, and stepping outside the box. This could be very much your room, whether you're in a nursing home or assisted living or retirement home. Because that that's how you stay alive, man. That's how you stay young. You have to continue your ambition. You know, like I, I saw how excited you got about all this. If you lose that, that's good. And Johnny, let me flip it real quick to you, man. 88, <laughs> what are you doing? Um, I just want to have, I just want to be in great shape. Just have my mind right. If I'm able to talk and still walk and still lift 525 pounds, Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> I, I, I would be happy with myself, but realistic, I just want to be happy. I just want to see my family do well. If I have kids, I want to see them do well. I just want to live life and just be happy. And knowing that I left this this world um, being great and people knew me as a positive person that inspired a lot of lives. There we go, Johnny. Johnny did it his way. He did it his way. <laughs> Very powerful words, Julio. Thank you. Yes, yes. Where can... Very powerful words. Where can people that are the listeners follow you or hear your message further? So I'm I'm currently uh, on Facebook under my own name, Julio Barrenzuela. Spell that for me. Uh, that's J-U-L-I-O, Julio, and Barrenzuela spelled B as in boy, A-R-R-E-N-Z-U-E-L-A. And that's where some somewhat old school still just focus on Facebook. Um So on Instagram is Salsa Ambassador, and I'll be posting more stuff once I get back to LA. Again, Instagram and all the social media and everything that's going to come starting 2019 is going to be because I'm getting a publicist when I get out there. And all of the publicists and the books and that, all of that will be a compilation of everything that I've done for the past 10 years. It's not about me so much as the stories that I have uh, heard and the experiences that I've had. Um, for me, it's always been about not me such as uh, as a dancer. Uh, I think I'm pretty much been humbled uh, going out to L.A. and seeing these amazing dancers. But one of the things that separates me from these amazing dancers is that uh, I don't dance for people. I dance with people. Mm -hmm. And whether they're young or old, able, disabled, rich or poor, Republican or Democrat, willing to dance or unwilling to dance. Like, that's what I do. And it happens that that's what's needed. In a country where we're currently so divided and focusing on what separates us, I, I think it's, uh, um, a, how do they say, a breath of fresh air sure. uh, to, to focus on things that actually bring us together, such as music. So that's what I do. And thank you so much for the invitation. My 
I'm gonna tell you, hey, you're the illest man. Uh, <laughs> you changed my mind. I feel like I feel like I want to learn salsa dancing. So you're most definitely mission the accomplished. But um, I appreciate you coming by. It was an honor um, having you on the show. I thank you, E Cannon. Cut the beat. And this is intentional danger for you.